Where them rappers be getting they lingo from? Tell me when to go. Tell me when to go. Tell me when to go. Yo, 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 yo! Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamar Williams. I am your host. You know how I like to do, man. I like to, you know, hit a podcast opening that ties into what we're doing. Um. I've been meaning to get E-40 on this uh, opening song for a while, man. Cause, you know, bring me back to my Northern California roots. Um, yeah, I, you know, I miss California sometimes. Uh, but, you know, it, makes me, it brings me back actually listening to E-40 because, you know, growing up, uh, big staple in California, Northern, especially Northern California music, um, hip-hop community. And, you know, it brings me back to high school. And for me, you know, when I think about high school, it's, it's just a... You know, smattering of different memories and whatnot. One of the things I often think about, and this ties into the song, of, you know, my last track meet in high school. Now, I've talked about how, like, I was, I did track in college, but, and how I got to Sacramento State, and one of those things. But a lot of people don't realize that Sacramento State was not actually the, um, the premier destination of my initial choice. Uh, when I was in high school, I was recruited for track and field by a number of different colleges, the biggest college being USC. And, you know, I was a young cocky thing. Probably people think I'm still cocky, but I was, uh, you know, I guess it was a, a well-regarded athlete time in uh, high school. My last track meet, we were, um, I actually, that's when I got injured. And I blew up my knee. But the story behind me blowing up my knee uh, is that the day of that track meet, I had buried a good friend of mine. And I remember, you know, the week before, you know, um, them dying, it was a, they died on spring break. And um, it was, he was in a car with three other individuals. Um, His name was Alan. And so, you know, he was buried and I remember leaving the funeral and I was just, it was the first time, especially for me, having to deal with death that closely at such a young age with a friend of mine, um, you know, and I grappling with that and understanding it. And it's just like, it was a very daunting thing. Um, it was troubling for a lot of people at the high school, but especially for those who was, who was his friend. So I left the funeral that day, um, just really out of it and just emotionally broken. And uh, I get to the school 
with the track meet. And I remember that uh, one of the coaches, you know, the head coach at the time, he was like, yeah, all right, we need you. We need you to um, to jump. You know, I was doing a uh, long and triple jump. And he said, I need, we need you to jump because we need to score points. Now, the thing is, we were already winning that track meet. So we didn't, he didn't really need me, but he just wanted me to, to jump. And that, that sad part about it is that two weeks later, I was scheduled to go what they call the Goldens. And so that's where a lot of the track athletes, and I had qualified. A lot of track athletes are, that's where, you know, you um, highlight yourself. And that's where if you haven't signed with the college, you can actually, you know, most recruits are going to be, most college recruiters are going to be there and they're going to, you know, um, take part in trying to figure out who's the next athlete or whatnot. So I was going to be part of the of the Goldens. And um, so I hadn't signed with the college yet, although USC was the number one college that was recruiting me. Um, so, you know, it makes sense for me to kind of like, all right, I shouldn't c- compete in a meet. But, you know, I, you know, you don't think about getting injured. So I remember this coach, he asked me to, to jump, and I just was not mentally there. I couldn't mentally get there. I was. I literally spent hours crying, crying for my friend, and I changed out of a suit into a track uniform. And I remember one coach, he was a black guy, he's like, "I don't think you should jump. You don't seem like you got into it." But I was like, "Nah, man, I could do it." You know, pledge coach. You know, so he wants me to jump, and it's whatever. I'll just do a couple jumps, get some points, and I'll just go home. And he was like, "I don't know. You 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 don't seem like you're in the right space." Of course, the head coach didn't really care about that. He just wanted me to jump. So I remember this. I, I don't know if I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I didn't warm up correctly. I don't know. But it was a triple jump, and my first jump, my knee collapsed, and I blew up my knee. And in that moment, I remember thinking I just ruined my life. For a pointless track meet. And I didn't even feel like jumping. And of course, I didn't get a call back from USC. Before they would leave a message on my on my answer machine. That's how old I am. And, you know, and doing all this other stuff and trying to court me to go. And different colleges were doing the same thing. I couldn't even get them on the phone afterwards. I blew up my ACL, I my MCL, and I ripped my meniscus. Totally shredded my knee on the first jump. Oh, the coach who asked me to jump didn't even come to the hospital, by the way. So, you know, I think about these things because, yes, E-40 brings me back to California. But I think about this song, like, tell me when to go, you know, and tell me when to go. And it's like it's like when people are telling you, you have to they're telling you when to go, like, I'm going to tell you when to go. Right. And, it, you know, go dumb. Right. Um, you know, telling you to go, go dumb, go dumb. And it's like I, I, we we tend to make people tell us to do things that are just dumb, you know, and not for the benefit of ours. Ourselves. And that made me think about what's currently happening with, you know, uh, American gymnast Simone Biles. Um, who. By the time you hear this episode, it'll be a week out. Um, last week, she 
decided not to compete in an event, citing mindfulness. Now, of course, a lot of people who were armchair quarterbacking sat there and said, oh, well, you know, she's quit. And she shouldn't even be there. And it was a lot of, you know, conversation surrounding how soft and how weak she is and how she don't have no commitment to the sport. And um, I always thought that was fascinating because a lot of these people can't do what she does. Nobody can do. Nobody in the world can do what she does. But yet everybody has a commentary. And, you know, for her to cite mindfulness as a reason why she can't do something. I thought that was incredibly powerful. And it brought me back to how many times athletes force themselves to do something, even to the detriment of their own self-interest and their own health, because it benefits somebody else or some other narrative. So we're talk we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about mindfulness. We're going to talk about athlete you know, mentality and, um, you know, we'll delve into just the entire Simone Biles and and just everything. We'll talk about, you know, Kyrie Irving and uh, 10 star Naomi Saka and uh, all these things. But, you know, before we get into that, um, I want to thank everybody for joining this podcast of Uncultured Biased. Uh, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please, please, please share this episode. Um if you are listening on Apple, I'm asking you guys, please rate the episode on Apple. Uh, please leave a commentary. You guys are not leaving commentaries, man. It's, it's breaking my heart. So please leave a commentary. It helps with the algorithm. Tell me how much you love the show. It helps out Apple say these guys are really buying into, including you guys listening to it all the way through. Um, you know, so thank you guys for doing that. If you've done so already. Uh, obviously, again, my final ask is that you guys share it. Uh, you know, we went back into the whole thing of why we're doing this podcast and, um, you know, it just uh, sent want to center the conversation on our shows to say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. And after all, culture is just another way to say discovered. We are on culture. We are biased. And we are black. It helps us with the idea of um, centering the conversation on black um, issues and we got black conversation. So, you know, um, really want to highlight that. Give a shout out to our sponsors this week, um, My Compass Tax Advisors. You can reach them at mycompasstax.com, 850-273-7193. Of course, if you're in the market for real estate, uh, Keystone Global Real Estate at uh, keystoneglobalrealestate.com or 407-680-8510. And if you are in a market for a guardianship, probate, will, um, or just real estate law or whatnot, um, contact our firm at Smith & Williams Trial Group, 888-SWTG-LAW or 888-798-4529. Of course, you can reach me uh, via email at cwilliams at swtglaw.com. All right. So we got through all that. And, you know, thank you guys for bearing with me on this opening. And, you know, to help us join, join us in this conversation, I brought on a sports psychologist. And uh, my guy, man, uh, Jerry Jasmine, who is a um, specialized in mental health. Uh, he got his master's in marriage and family therapy, but he worked with athletes um, in uh, mental health. So, Jerry, are you with me? I'm here. Yeah. What do you think about that opening, man? I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And it's, uh, it's a powerful story. Yeah. Very powerful story. Um, I do want to just make a, a slight correction. I'm not yeah. a sports psychologist. Oh. Yeah. 
at uh, least. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm a mental health counselor. Yes. Okay. Um, I do work with athletes, so I, I do engage in sports counseling. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely um, one of the biggest uh, demographics that I that I really want to work with is uh, the uh, student athletes, professional athletes, athletes of all ages. That's dope, man. And listen, I'm just speaking into existence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, you know, I know, but you do you do work with athletes, you know, from different levels and from high school to professional. And so I wanted your perspective on just a number of different things, man. And, um, you know, just everything that's going on with, uh, Simone, you know, for those who don't know, she obviously pulled out from the event. And, um, in fact, um, let's go ahead and drop a clip to give everybody just an example of what's happening with her. So, you are in the air and you don't know how to land correctly or safely and that's a feeling that you literally never forget i have dreams about it so when i was watching simone biles on the vault yesterday i could tell right away something something wasn't right and my stomach it dropped to the floor because for a second i was like she might really get hurt and as we all saw in the replays she seemed to bail out on one of her twists that she had left in her Aminar vault. It's one of the most dangerous vaults you can perform in gymnastics, and only a select few are able to do it. And to be clear, people have wiped out on this vault before. And blowing out your knee with one wrong landing on vault is kind of a pseudo-regular occurrence in gymnastics, especially at this level. And even though the first thing you learn in gymnastics is how to fall safely, you don't always fall safely, especially when you get lost midair. So as Biles has described it, she had a case of the twisties. It's a gymnastics term for when your brain and your body just aren't in sync, even though you've done a skill like a bazillion times before and you can't figure out why your body's not cooperating. So luckily, Simone Biles is so strong that she didn't get physically injured during the landing, but she easily could have. And Bio scored much lower than she typically does. Usually she's in the 15.1, 15.2 range. But yesterday she scored a 13.76. And then Simone Biles made a choice that I have to say was partially strategic. By pulling out of the team final, she ensured any future errors wouldn't bring down the hard work that her teammates had put in. If she had fallen during one of the three other events, her team might have lost the chance at a medal altogether. And because of that brave decision, she helped Team USA go out and fight for that silver medal, which they did. Shout out to them for not giving up. But of course, we know it was much more than a strategy at the end of the day. Simone Biles knew she wasn't in the right headspace to compete yesterday, keep herself safe and perform at the level that the world expects from her. She put her well-being above our expectations. And today, Simone Biles withdrew from the individual all-around final. Sherry, what do you think about that? Man, it's very interesting to hear um, the word expectations. You know, 
the, the expectations that society has for professional athletes and um, to see the amount of shame that has been casted on, on Simone Biles for respecting her body, listening to her body is, is disappointing. It's disappointing, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, I thought it was fascinating that uh, I think it's very easy. It's easy for us as a society to regulate somebody to quitting something, mm-hmm. right? When we don't understand something, we automatically deem it as weak or less than. That's like our natural human instinct. And that's actually a nasty thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because it makes it forces us to pin that person in the worst type of fashion. I feel like in society, and I've always I say this on my podcast, we have run away from the concept of humanity. We don't we lack a sense of human decency. Yeah. And you know, what I mean by that is rather than try to make somebody and pin them as the worst possible individual with the worst possible motive. We try to let's try to look at somebody in the most humane ideal and say, okay, why would somebody want to do that? Mm-hmm. Right? Instead of thinking this nefarious ideal that, you know, oh, they quit. They don't, they're not tough. Right. You know what I mean? They don't have what it takes. Right. And we'll delve into that. Like, what is it these, you know, uh the these these pseudonyms of this of work culture, right? But the natural pivot for a lot of people was like, she quit on her team. Quit on the team. And it's fascinating because these people don't even know a damn thing about gymnastics. Right. Right? Yeah. Right? But their first thing was to pile dirt like she quit and she doesn't care. Doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm, I'm learning a, a little more about gymnastics now because I haven't worked with um, athletes that, or I haven't worked with gymnasts just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm learning a lot about gymnastics and, you know, hearing about the twisties is terrifying. You know, I couldn't imagine being in the air and having your mind basically detached from your body. You know, it's very, very dangerous. It's it's um, akin to vertigo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like literally having vertigo in the middle of the air, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the things I think was like it's oddly weird that people were assigning other sports as if there are apples to apples mm-hmm. in this conversation. Right. Well, LeBron James, if LeBron James wouldn't be, you know, and it was like uh, Michael Jordan, and if Michael Jordan, it was like, and, you know, honestly, I think better, let me just go ahead and play this ridiculous clip. Um, a guy named Charlie Kirk, who, based on my understanding, hasn't accomplished shit in this world, okay. you know, outside of being a, you know, social media personality or, uh, you know, a, pers- a Republic, a conservative personality. Mm-hmm who um, elicits uh, the most vile and toxic views, you know, generally towards anybody. So let me go ahead and play his clip, and then we can um, go from there. So Simone Biles, who's obviously a very talented gymnast, decided not to compete in the gold medal competition. Now, she probably could have just competed and just kind of checked the boxes, and they would have got a gold medal Simone Biles says this Olympic Games I wanted to be for myself when I came in and I felt like I was still doing it for other people as she cried after the team event on Tuesday so that just it like hurts my heart because doing what I love has been kind of taken away from me to please other people yeah that's the point Simone Biles you're representing your nation you selfish you're selfish sociopath you kidding me today it's like you know what I'm not going to do something stupid and get hurt it's just not worth it 
especially when you have like three amazing athletes that can step up to the plate and do it. So you know who has the gold medal? Russia. Russia. I have to go look at these four foot eleven Russian Olympi Olympians chewing on their gold medals, smirking at the Americans. I'm not okay with that. But honestly, that's where we're headed. We are raising a generation of weak people like Simone Biles. Again, if you want to be, if she got all these mental health problems, don't show up. She's an incredible athlete. Of course she's an incredible athlete. I'm not saying, I just said she's probably the greatest gymnast of all time. She's also very selfish. She's immature. And she is a shame to the country. She's totally a sociopath. Of course she's a sociopath. Andrew says she's not a sociopath. What kind of person skips the gold medal match? Who does that? It's a shame to the nation. You just gave a gift to the Russians. Don't show up. If you're not ready for the big time, we got thousands of young female gymnasts that would love to take the place. Thousands. Simone Biles just showed the rest of the nation that when things get tough, you shatter into a million pieces. So I thought this was very fascinating, and I, I'm, I'm going to get your th thoughts in a moment, but I just want to say that he brings up the Russians. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's an amazing statement. You know, I got to look at the Russians. But, you know, I'm going to actually bring up a certain gymnast who is actually from Russia. In the 1978 Women's Gymnastics World Championship, a, woman, a gymnast by the name Elena Mukina, I probably butchered that name, she broke her leg and was not permitted to the appropriate time to heal. Soviet gymnastics coaches pressured doctors to remove her cast early on so she could start training for the 1980 Olympics. She protested, protested heavily and said, I cannot do it because she knew her leg was not properly healed and she was not ready to stand the pressure and the grueling training regimen, regimen of the, you know, a typical gymnast. Trainers and coaches dismissed her concerns and said, you know what? We don't care what you got to say. And they forced her to continue training and pushed her to continue into competition. Well, while practicing the Thomas Salto, which has since been banned for being so damn dangerous, she, due to an underrated, um, due to her weakened leg, um, landed on her chin and broke her neck, which made her a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. That's someone from Russia. So he mentioned, oh, I got to stare at these Russians. But it was, I was like, oh, that's fascinating, mm -hmm. right? Because there's a little history of Russia, you know, pushing one of their athletes to break their net because they didn't, they weren't physically ready. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that I want to make sure I'm clear on is that Charlie Kirk is a full is full of shit because he's he, he labeled somebody as you know, a psychopath or a sociopath, yeah. you know what I mean? Because they had the mindfulness to protect their own body. Right. Yeah. Going back to my opening monologue, when you know yourself and you know, things are not clicking, mm -hmm. you should listen to yourself because nobody's going to care if you render yourself injured. Now, obviously I didn't, I was not rendered quadriplegic, you know, it was just my leg. Mm -hmm. But the idea that somebody would, Again, tell you when to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Tell you when to go. Tell you when to do something. Not not listening to your own input. And you having to adhere to it because you're trying to meet their expectations. It almost takes away your own humanity. Because you're not you're not operating within your own agency. Yeah. You know? So what are, you, what are your thoughts, Jerry? 
I think you touched on it earlier. Um, the fact that the society lacks compassion and yeah. empathy. And it's so strange to see that he took it so personally that she decided not to play, mm-hmm. or not, not to perform. Um, but if he would have taken a moment to sit and understand what she's going through and to listen to her, he would understand that she didn't in fact quit. Right. If anything, she put her team in a position to win. Right. At least the silver. Right. And um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, people make these, they take these theories and they see it on Twitter and then they run with it. Right. And, and then it sort of turns into like this bipartisanship I- issue right. uh, where the left thinks one thing and the right thinks another. But I've actually seen people on who would qu- qualify as Democrats and, you know, friends included, mm-hmm. who actually said, Oh, you know, she quit on the team and she's not tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then they use uh, parables uh, from other sports. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, football, I used to do this, or basketball. You know what I mean? And, you know, like, I mean, including I'm going to play another conservative, um, uh, the, the conservative talking head mm-hmm. who made the same point um, talking about athletes in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, his name's Clay Travis. Own bile story to me is about making quitting not only acceptable but heroic, praiseworthy, evidence of how brave she is. Simone Biles can quit. She never has to compete again if she doesn't want to. But she quit on her team in the middle of the biggest event that they will have in five years. Her performance and or failure to perform may well have cost her team the gold medal. And she brought this pressure onto herself by labeling herself as the GOAT, the greatest of all time on her unitard or leotard or whatever the heck it's called. She literally put a GOAT on it. And then she quit on her team in the process, by the way, taking away an opportunity from another athlete that would have loved to represent the United States in Tokyo. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I don't like the idea that we are holding Simone Biles to a different standard than we would Scottie Pippen 30 years ago, to a different standard than Michael Jordan, to a different standard than LeBron James or Tom Brady. If you think you are the GOAT, then as a team player, you should have to perform as the GOAT. And if you don't, if you fail, that's fine. None of us are perfect. But quitting is unacceptable. And I am stunned by the number of people out there I see saying, oh, this is so brave of her. This is so courageous of her to quit in the middle of the biggest competition of most of her teammates' lives. That is not brave. That is not courageous. That is, to me, the exact opposite of those adjectives. Now, she has the right to do anything she wants as an individual, but I think this also builds upon the larger failures of social media and the way it defines what is and what is not heroic. Most sports fans, the vast majority of sports fans, agree with me right now. Most sports writers, the vast majority of sports writers, 
agree with me right now. Most sports media agree with me right now. So many of them are terrified to say anything like what I am saying right now because they are afraid of the blue checkmark brigade coming after them. So he goes on and on and on for another three minutes. I don't want to play this, that garbage any further. But I do want to offer some, uh, there's a lot of pushback, but one of the things I want to make something very clear here. Uh, he mentions that, and Charlie Kirk does this as well, as well. He mentions that, oh, there are millions of people, thousands of girls who could have done this. And she took away a spot. Um, her alternate was not allowed to take her place because once the prelims start, um, and qual- or the qualifications, they aren't allowed to replace another athlete. That's just the rules. Mm-hmm. So who you, whoever you bring past the prelims, that's the team. Mm-hmm. That's it. So she did the heroic thing, as mentioned in the in a prior clip, of taking herself out because she wanted to ensure that they medal. Because it's not a guarantee you medal, especially if you're you're not performing and you're not uh, continuing the task the way you're supposed to. So that is something that I want to make sure we're clear that she, it's not that she took away a spot and she's being selfish. She wasn't being selfish. She's being selfless. Yeah. But that's the characterization we have to, we, you have these negative characterizations of people who don't lift up to our own expectations of them, mm-hmm. you know? But what did you think about that particular diatribe? Yeah, I mean, people just want to paint a broad stroke on, athletics and and act as if everyone should be the same everyone should perform the same and every every sport is the same every sport is not the same right so um to to say that if michael jordan or scotty pippen or someone else did it then they wouldn't i don't recall what he said but he, he basically said that it would it would have been unacceptable right or lebron james or, or something, yeah. or lebron james but you know what i'm learning gymnastics is totally different from um basketball it was totally different from baseball right and the fact that she was in the air and she was losing her sight of the, the ground she wasn't really understanding where she was is much more dangerous than performing or being on the court and just being out of it right you know so it, it just lacks understanding so one of my friends he mentioned like oh you know you you got on ben simmons mm-hmm. you know for not taking a shot during the playoffs and and he mentions about you know athletes, you know basketball players. I said they're not apples to apples you know, conversations. Number one, um, it's not like Ben Simmons forgot how to dribble a basketball. Mm-hmm. That's the core. That's what we're talking about. Ben Simmons forgot how to literally dribble a basketball. Like he was in Space Jam, the original movie. And remember they took out the you know the monsters uh, took the the. Energy out, and these guys literally forgot how to play. That's literally what happened. Someone by now, that's a, bur- a more apt comparison. Right when you know they're like trying to look, they're looking at their hands like I don't know what happened. I used to be able to play basketball, but I can't. You know, even then, I mean, forgetting to play basketball and being on the court, yeah, you're a liability, but, but you're not gonna die. Exactly. You know what I mean? You're yeah. not gonna die. Yeah. Like you literally could die from detachment of body, mind, and body. When you're in the middle of the air, when you can't place the ground, mm-hmm. and the, the the worst things about twist the twisties is that, um, and to correct me if I'm wrong, but the worst things about the twisties is that you're, um, it's based off of gymnastics, all based off of muscle memory. Mm-hmm. You practice on muscle memory, muscle memory, mm-hmm. but then what happens when that muscle loses its memory? Right. 
that's scary because you're not thinking in the air. You're you're relying on your body to react the way it's supposed to. Absolutely. And then it's almost like you're um, diving onto a, into a pool that has no water in it. Yeah. You know, you di- you're diving into onto a hard surface. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's just dangerous overall. Mm-hmm. Just dangerous. And a lot of gymnasts, you know, they came to her defense when they, when soon she mentioned the word twisties, they were like, oh, snap. Yeah. That's real. Like, oh, yeah. Not, I understand. Because it was, I, I remember, you know, Tokyo is obviously far ahead of us. So when I, I wake up early in the morning. I'm like up at like 4 a.m. And I was just checking the news and they were like, Simone was supposed to do, she did, um, as they talked about the, her dismount, and she was supposed to do a two and a half, but she did a one and a half. And they were like, that was very, but even the person who was commenting, he could tell their gymnast, they were like, that's very peculiar. And that's not like for somebody to that is, you know, they're going to really attempt a very dangerous move and they're going to do a two and a half spin and they only go to a one and a half. That means something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and it was at the time before we even knew what the twisties were. Mm-hmm. But even that person who was commenting like that's not something's wrong. Yeah. I heard another comment that um, her head was still turned when she landed. Wow. So that means that she still. Wanted to turn. She really didn't know what she was. Yeah. Yeah. So that could have been very damaging to her, to the team. And I think she did. She made the right decision. I, she made the, absolutely the right decision. Right. You know, right. um, she took herself out of it. She, she, I mean, she took, she took her ego away because mm-hmm. ego forces you to do things, right? Mm-hmm. Ego forces you to do very dumb things a lot of times. It forces you. It's our, our sense and our pride, right? Um, so, uh, Giannis, you know, he just won the championship, but he had this great quote and I'm probably going to butcher it, <laughs> but I'm going to try to attempt it anyway. Um, ego is when you look to, towards your past. Mm-hmm. Uh, pride is when you look towards your future. Mm-hmm. You know, humility is when you look and you concentrate on the present. Mm-hmm. Her ego would have forced like, I'm the world's greatest gymnast. I have literally moves made af- named after me because no one has ever attempted it. Mm-hmm. That's stuff I've did in the past. Right. My pride is because I want to make sure I get this gold medal that should be coming to me. But humility is understanding that right now I am not in the space I can to, to do to worry about either one of those things. Mm-hmm. I have to worry about my health, and that's a priority. And then I have to worry about my team because mm-hmm. my ego would be like I would tell my team I got it, right? Yeah, I can function through. That's okay. But that's not helping anybody, yeah. except our own narrative of who we want to define her, her as. Right, right. But let me look at other sports. Look at basketball. Look at baseball. I think they call it the the, the yippies or the yips. Yeah, in, um, in golf. Yeah, or in other sports um, in general. But like baseball, if if a pitcher's off, what do they do to him? They remove him. Take him out of the game. Yeah, because he's now not giving them the best chance to win. Right, and I think. She did that, and she had smart people in her corner that supported her, and they didn't take it personally, but it seems like a greater society did. Right. Yeah. Let me ask you about, the, like, when you work with athletes and just the psychology of an athlete, mm-hmm. um, is there, like, a normalized psychology when you notice, like, okay, most athletes function on a certain, like, they check off certain boxes as far as self self-interest or self-preservation or like there's anything that you see that is common in every athlete regardless of the sport uh 
I mean, that's that's difficult to answer. I mean, I think different. I think athlete, athletes themselves, yeah, are a culture. It's a subculture in society. Yeah. And then within that subculture, you have different teams that have norms that um that they share similarities that they share, but um. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, you have to be a competitor if you want to be an athlete. Mm. Um, I definitely think they have shared experiences, which is why you can consider them their own unique culture. Um, and one of those shared experiences is living in a fishbowl, mm-hmm. you know, living in living under a microscope, constantly having to answer to people that either don't play the sport don't know anything about the sport, don't know anything about the pressures that these athletes are under. And, um, you know, that's got to be very frustrating. Yeah. You know, especially when you, when you get to the level of, you know, being a high performing athlete in high school, yeah. then playing college, you know, and then making it to the NBA or making it to the pros. Um, it's just, it's interesting to see that people have an opinion on how you perform. Yeah. I don't think there's any other profession um, that, well, not that that you and I um, that you and I could do that um, we're evaluated by people outside of our organization uh, constantly. Well, lawyers, well, lawyers are often evaluated. That's why we get bar complaints, right? So, <laughs> I, I guess let me. Um, Doctors the same way, and you know, expand on that. So doctors, yes, doctors, lawyers, we all, even myself, I'm, I could be evaluated by a board, yeah. right? If I was, if I was um, being unethical, but I'm talking about complete strangers that have never interacted with me. They have nothing to do with uh, my practice. You know, I'm not being evaluated by them. Um, but in athletics, you're being evaluated by not only the, the your, your coach and your GM, but you're being evaluated by fans. Yeah, that's the tough part. Yeah. Um, I was telling you before we got on about like the psychology of a track athlete, you know, um, there's a, there's a lot of individualized, um, motivation, but I remember something my, I always talk about like this track and I applied in my life is that when you're most relaxed, you run the fastest Mm -hmm. now breaking that down. So when an athlete, when a track athlete, let's, let's talk about the hundred. Um, the idea that most people think it's like, oh, it's just running fast. Mm-hmm. You just get up in the blocks and then you just go. But in reality, your idea of running a track meet, you're not trying to win the race. Mm-hmm. Now you might say that's really, really weird. People say that's weird. How, what do you mean you're not trying to win, win a race? No, when you're in a block, you're not thinking about winning the race. Mm-hmm. What you're thinking about is technique and you're thinking about form and thinking about you're focusing on the moment you're not focusing on like I need to get a certain time you're literally trying to be present and just be you know when you're in the moment of your own self it's when you can actually perform at the highest level mm-hmm. and those who are in the Olympics can do it at such a high capacity because they do it on a consistent level everybody's fast but not everybody can have this singular mind and body you know singularity when running where they can be very present in who they are and block out everything you always hear like track athletes i have to block out everything Mm -hmm. and i have to focus yeah focus on what's happening in front of me and you know envision 
But I have to, in order to envision, I have to envision everything, envision the different phases of that race. What is my form looking like in the first phase? What am I going to look like in the second phase of that race? Third phase, fourth phase. That's, that's how we have to look. We have to be very present in that, mm-hmm. you know. And then, then after you've gotten to the, you've gotten to the place of you've hit every single cycle that your training and your muscle memory has given you. Then hopefully you would have you um, would have come out on top in a race. But my coach would tell me like you can't think about winning the race when you're in the blocks because you're not going to win. You're going to be too tense. You got to think about just running your race, not winning the race. When you run your race, then you win. But when you think about winning the race, you won't run and you will lose. And that's something. And that's something that I I always think about in life. Sometimes I always want to get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. And we hear that old mantra, just run your race. Right. Relax. Mm-hmm. Be calm. Relax your muscles. When your muscles are tight, you can't do anything. But when your muscles are loose, when, you're br- when, you're, when your mind is free, you're not, you're not stressed out, you perform at your, at your optimum. Right. That's what I think about when I see athletes. Mm-hmm. Are they performing at their optimum? Right. Like what's on their mind? Mm-hmm. And yes, see, sometimes you could block out Life, right? Mm-hmm. Shit happening at home, mm-hmm. messed up. This is my sanctuary. Right. You know, that's not the same thing of when you're dealing with some real mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's something that we have to, we still don't understand the con. Like, I think we've gotten better society in the last 10 years mm-hmm. accepting the idea of mental health. Right. But we're clearly not there yet to where people are challenging when somebody says, yeah, I'm having a mental health issue, and you're like, "Oh, you're soft. Right? You're you quit. You're weak." Yeah. You know, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I mean, even st- stuff stuff happening at home. I mean, that that in itself could be yeah, um, so heavy that you can't perform. Yeah, you know, if you're dealing with stuff at home that's giving you anxiety, um, depression, which a lot of people can mask, but it ends up manifesting itself one way or the one way or the other. And that could have been what happened to Simone Biles. We don't know. Right. We don't know what's going on in her personal life. But, um, yeah, it's, it's important to be aware, which is I'm, I'm so proud of her, to be aware of her body and her mind and understanding what's going on um, enough to say that I'm, I'm not in it and I can't do this. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be bad for me. It's going to be bad for the team. And she made, it, she made a, a business decision, and I respect her for it. Yeah. I was just thinking about um the idea of being a professional. Mm-hmm. And oh first of all, actually before I get into that, mm-hmm. I want to I want to highlight this one very important point when we talk about things going on at home. Uh, the thought process that somebody like Simone Biles is weak, mentally weak when in fact she dealt with personally being molested by the USA team doctor and still decided to represent this country. If that's not fucking patriotic, I don't know what is because I know anybody who's like, Oh, y'all put someone on payroll that was molesting me and my friends and my teammates, you know, and y'all want me to put this flag on my back and represent y'all. And you put me through trauma. And now you want to question my patriotism. Yeah. It's incongruent to say that she's weak minded. It doesn't add up. The math ain't mathing, you know. What I mean? So, you know what that actually says. That's more indicative of how you view yourself, mm-hmm. 
not on how you view Simone. Right. That's your own personal pain not being reconciled because you feel like, well, I've masked my pain, so she should mask hers. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've deemed my toughness by the way I've masked my own pain. Mm-hmm. Right. When in reality, she's actually masked her pain and outperformed far more, far, far greater than anything we've ever done. Because you're at your regular job, wouldn't be able to do not even scintilla of what she's done with the amount of trauma she's had to put down. Now, keep that in mind. She's dealt with that trauma. Mm-hmm. Now you talk about being in the fishbowl, mm-hmm. the world's greatest gymnast, right? Yeah. Uh, someone made a point of like, you know, everything she's doing, like the camera's in her face, mm-hmm. right? Like literally, like. They're like the cameras following her. Okay, you sign up for that because you are the world's uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's still something to be said about, you know, it still can fuck with you mentally. Of course, you know, can like, you know, what I mean, like that's not that's not normal. We've normalized the idea that, you know, you should be in a fishbowl, right? When that's not really that's not what we should normalize, right? Um, you know, along those lines, you, are you familiar with uh, the average age of retirement? A gymnast usually is in the early 20s early 20s yeah so yeah. 16 to 20 yeah so Mon Biles is 24 right so she's outperforming she's <laughs> she's outperformed right. outlived you know most gymnasts um age of relevancy mm-hmm. and she's still the top in the top in the world right yep. that says something it says a lot you know um what do you pull from that I mean, what I pull from that is she could possibly be thinking about retirement. As she should. And the pressure from that alone can cause a significant amount of anxiety and, like, uh, anticipatory depression. You know, because there's a a concept called athletic identity foreclosure. You familiar with that? No. It's basically where you've been doing something your entire life playing a sport your entire life, and you haven't really looked at yourself outside of your athletic identity. Mm. And when it comes time to retire, which most athletes retire earlier than the general population does. Yeah. I mean, your whole world is is over. Yeah. You know? You've heard, uh, Chris Bosch said that mm-hmm. when he was forced into retirement because of a medical issue. Yep. And, you know, he was going to get paid the rest of his 100. And he literally, I think he signed something with Houston. Mm-hmm. He signed a four-year deal with Houston. $110 million or something something astronomical. Mm-hmm. And then he was forced into medical retirement. But because it's NBA and NBA union, they still had to pay him, right, or give him a payout. But he still was ob- given the obligation of his contract because he didn't opt out of his contract. It was a medical issue. Mm-hmm. And six months into his retirement, I remember there was an article he mentioned about how he said he finds himself wandering the house trying to find trying to find his his identity because since he was eight years old he's been playing basketball and now i'm 32 years old and i don't have i'm i find myself retired with all this money and i'm going crazy like literally and then there are people like oh you know this guy's complaining i wish i had a hundred million dollars to sit around and figure out my life but when you've been doing something for almost 30 years of your life and now you're you're regulated to like you can't do that thing mm-hmm. or you will die yeah. which is what they said about Chris Bosh at the time they're like you will die if you take a 
elbow to the, I think it was kidney or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was debilitating for him. Yep. And he said he had bouts of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of athletes do that. They, you know, they find them to your point. I didn't know the, the term of it, but yeah, you've heard of it. Like, yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing. And um, I mean, you're lucky if you make it to the professional ranks, but um, it happens in high school for a lot of people. It mm. happens in college. I mean, it happened. It almost happened to you because you, you, your injury came in high school. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it could have been over for you. I honestly, I, I did go through about a depression. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the phone wasn't ringing. I didn't have any, you know, nobody was calling me. And um, that was a very tough period. Mm-hmm. And I had a battle back from that. But like, okay, I just can't sit around for six months being depressed. Mm-hmm. I went to a junior college in the beginning. Wow. You know, because I couldn't figure it out. I didn't have any offers. And then I transferred into Sacramento State uh, my after my first year. So, you know, it's... Um, it was it was a tough thing, but you're right. I was trying to find my identity mm-hmm. in that, right? You know, because I hadn't, I, and it was I was 18. I wasn't, I didn't think about my future outside of I've always been good at track, right? You know, and even when I got back from, tra- but it was a funny thing is when I got when I came back, I wasn't as good as I was before. I I felt physically, I felt like it's like I felt stronger, but I also felt like I wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't the same. And I couldn't describe to people, right. but the fascinating thing is when I when I lost when I was losing in college, I was actually very very okay with it. Hmm. I think that period of me losing out on whatever what my path would have been, it brought me to a space of to accept what my fate was and just be happy that I was able to compete. Right. So when I was no longer on the team anymore and I was no longer doing track I was able to find identity in other things that I enjoyed you know mm-hmm. um being socially engaged you know like finding my voice in just politics and things of that nature but it took a time it took a moment for that to be removed from me right forcibly mind you yeah yeah it sounds like you were able to um cycle through the I guess the stages of grief and uh acceptance is is one of the I guess one of the last stages but the fact that you were able to do that and reach reach that level of acceptance, it was I think it was very pivotal in your shift from being an athlete into doing other things. Yeah, I mean that, or my, you know, I had Jamaican parents; so they were not allowing me to just <laughs> mope around, right. you know. But I mean, it was tough, and so I, I when I see an athlete dealing with things, I kind of it brings me back. Like I kind of, even though I've never reached their the pinnacle of their level, but I, I have a sense of humanity of. I get it. Mm-hmm. I understand it. And then, honestly, I, I think about with professional career. Um, you know, I'm going to try to find this quote uh, that Simone said. I thought was really interesting. Hold on. Let me find it. Um, it, it was in regards to how she saw herself. Mm-hmm. And here it was. The amount of love and support. I received has made me realize I'm more than my accomplishments in gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. That's her statement. Right. That's deep. That's deep. Yeah. And I thought like, wow, how many people in the world don't see that with themselves professionally? Mm-hmm. 
I am my job. I am my accomplishments. I am my accolades. Right? Yeah. And the world only sees me through my success. And what am I without my success? Mm-hmm. It really lacks human humanistic, um, like the humanistic nature of being human. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost like you, your goal is to be only an athlete. Yeah. But I think people forget that athletes are human too. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I think about like you, t- it, the, we stripped away our own humanity in our own professional selves because we're so used to seeing society through the lens of whether it's like um, hallmarks of accomplishment, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, you see society through uh, milestones, you know, and for a lot of people, you know, they'd be like, like oh, if I didn't reach a certain milestone. I'm not worthy. And then, you know, I'm sure you see it in mental health area. Like, they're, they're really debilitating because they see themselves like, I, you know, I thought I'd be a lot more at this stage, stage of my life. Right. I thought this would be a lot more at this stage of my marriage. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd be a lot more at the stage of my, you know, my workspace. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. And therefore, I am, you know, less than. Yeah. And we evaluate our, ourselves based on this idea that we didn't meet the level of accomplishment, whether it built up through ourselves internally or externally, right. given through the other public, which is really the fascinating thing. But what I loved about what Simone did, because she didn't let everybody's external expectations to define who she was. That's right. the first step. But right. even in that statement, which she just made, she never saw herself more than what her accomplishments were, yeah. which can go into the thing of like, maybe that's why she's still doing what she's doing at 24. Right. Because it's like, I, I don't want to, I you know who am I retiring at tw- what do I look like at retiring at twenty one right you know when I've spent the better part of my life trying to get to a certain point of being the best gymnast in the world all right now that your time's over go go away because we got to move into a new crop mm-hmm. yeah and I think that external um, influence it, it it really is associated with one of the most common thinking traps which is what you should be doing mm-hmm. you know um, you should be playing or continuing to perform at 24 when you really don't have to, but people expect that. So you should be doing that. You should be married by a certain age. You should be yeah. reaching uh, a certain salary by a certain age. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's part of what we're experiencing. And it, it, I don't think we should be concerned about cultivating a society of quitters. I think we should be more concerned about cultivating a society where people are constantly unable to feel yeah. And and be aware of where they are. Facts. Facts, bro. Like, I really, I think we, we have this society where people, it's a worker society. We've de- we've defined ourselves through the worker society, right? And you your worth is created by how hard you work, how hard you sacrifice, how hard you give to an entity, not to yourself. Right. That's what, that's what your worth is governed by. You know what I mean? Like, yo, you know, you hear when I grew up, I don't growing up, this person came in early and they left late. That's an ideal worker. And it's like that's really toxic when you think about it. Cuz like they stay they came in early and they left late. So, what does their home life look like? Right. What does their personal space look like? We don't care, but the ideal worker is someone who shows up early and stays late. The boss is leaving, you know, the, the image the boss is leaving and he sees the light still on the person's cubby hole cuz they're churning out. 
They're trying to, you know, they're trying to make sure they're doing their job to the utmost. And the boss walks away smirking like, ah, that's a good, you know, he's going to make it or she's going to make it because he's working, you know, way past the hours. Like, even for me as an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, is if I tell somebody, yeah, man, I, I clocked off at 2 p.m. Another thing like, yo, you're not really working. You know, you know, you're not working hard. Right. You don't care. And it might be, and I've gotten to the space like, no, nah, bro, honestly, I just was not I'm not feeling it today. Right. I, I, there are some days I stay past 10 o'clock at night. And other days, no, nah, I go home at twelve thirty, because I'm like I just I'm not I'm not there. Right, I can't do it like mentally, and I could push myself to stay to ten thirty to meet some. I used to do this to, to meet some you know external obligation that all attorneys have to stay past late mm-hmm. to finish their work. But I've really I've gotten to a place where that's bullshit. I don't care anymore. Right. Like I'm if I'm not feeling it, I ain't feeling this this work this this case. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a disservice by focusing on anyways. I'm going to go home, you know, but we don't do that because society has built up this ideal of the worker, right? you know, and, um, and I know you don't want to get, we can get into this, but social, the, the sociological aspect of, because we've dealt the idea that you only deserve merit and you've only deserve, um, happiness when you worked hard. Is a very concept of why people, you know, devalue anybody from getting free health care. Hmm. Somebody, you don't deserve health. You hear the argument: you don't deserve health care because of your job. Right. You know, like oh, you, if you work, you know, get a better job. Get a better job. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't deserve basic tenets of hu- of human decency right. because you're not working hard enough. Yeah. You know, I did a podcast about capital capitalism last week, and I talked about how, like, you know, we have given this idea that um, we've taken on the concept of what capitalism that, you know, uh, working harder, working for something um, is the, ben- is the, the pinnacle of human achievement. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's the same idea here when you talk about workers and the idea of like healthcare or basic tenets of humanity. You don't deserve our respect until we see that you've made the necessary sacrifice. Right. Rather than you just deserve our respect because you're a human. Mm-hmm. And everything that goes along with that respect, your mental health, well-being, and your physical well-being. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I've been doing a lot of talking. No, no, no. I'm, I'm following you, man. I'm, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a scary place that we are going. And I, again, I just want to repeat that. I don't think we need to be concerned about creating a society where people are quitting. Yeah. I think we need to really start breaking down some of the stigmas and some of the barriers to mental health care um, so people can get the care that they need and start being more aware of this themselves, um, maybe be more aware of their boundaries, be, be more aware of how to set healthy boundaries. So they don't, it's, it's almost going to be more preventative, right? So yeah. you, you don't um, start, building high anxiety or, or depressive symptoms. Um, but I don't think we're ready to have that conversation yet. Well, we can have the conversation. I mean, like, but like, what are some of the things that people you just mentioned? Like, how do we recognize that? Or what are some things we can do personally? Cause we're not all professional athletes, but we all have bouts of these anxiety and depression and trauma. Yeah. You know, well, definitely um, seeking professional help yeah. is at the top of the list. Uh, but then again, you know, talking about insurance or lack of uh, resources, some people have barriers to seeking mental health care. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, in, in the very least, uh, 
listening to your body, um, understanding that, you know, if you're experiencing some physical symptoms and it's not medically related, it may be um, associated to some sort of psychological or mental health uh, concern. Um, you know, talking to people in general, I think is helpful as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in catharsis, just healing by way of releasing. And, you know, having a strong support system is very important. Uh, having friends that you can talk to is very important. Even guys breaking down some of the barriers or some of the stigmas of you have to be tough is very important. Being able to humanize and, and vulner- be vulnerable in a space to talk about how you're truly feeling is very important. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some, some steps that people can take immediately to start going in the other direction yeah. of wellness. Yeah. That's, that's real. That's, that's facts. Um, I want to talk about this because actually you made me think about it when you're talking. Um, agency mm-hmm. and having, I know we're going to pivoting to Simone, but the idea of going through the age of athlete agencies, I'm, I'm going to play this clip here. We're all disappointed. We can admit it, right? We wanted to see her. We're disappointed for her and her teammates. But the incredible strength that she exhibited here, what you're going to call this, if you haven't dived into the details and thought about it deeply enough, is some sort of collapse or choke. That's how we talk about sports. But what it indeed was, was somebody who recognized that in those moments when she was shaking, maybe anxiety, a panic attack, we don't know, before the competition, and then to, in the air, not know how many turns she had done, to not land it well, and to put her team behind the eight ball with the very first score that she posted in the first rotation, was to say, I'm going to make things worse for my team if I compete, and I might put myself at risk, which is something that she also mentioned on the podium today. She said, you know, I didn't want to do something silly out there because I wasn't mentally there. Think about the danger of the things that she's doing up there if she's not all together mm-hmm. with it. So she removed herself from the competition to benefit both herself in that moment as she recognized she was un- unable to compete, but also her team. And she said, they've worked their whole lives for this. I don't want to take them out of the competition because I'm not able to go out there and do what I need to. So yeah, they put a, uh, she put some pressure on them because they could only use the three scores that they had in each event and there was no rotation anymore. You got to use those, those people every single event. But they went out and got a silver medal, which is probably better than they might have done if Simone Biles had continued competing at the level that we saw on that first rotation. So um, one of the things I want to talk about, I feel like what I've taken from that is athlete agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and let's move, move the term athlete. Just say human agency. Mm-hmm. Um, being c- confident and strong enough to take agency over, your, over yourself. Right. Um, that's the main takeaway because we're not all going to be competing on a court, on a field, in a gymnasium. That's not our lives, especially if you reach a certain age, right? right? Mm-hmm. No matter how much of you are, if you're a weakened warrior. Mm-hmm. But you do have to have some self-agency to say, like, I'm, I need to remove myself from a situation because I'm not helping anybody. Right. And being confident in that. Right. Because society will, will try to make you feel like you are quitting. Yeah. You know, giving this pejorative idea that you don't want you don't want it enough. Yeah, I think more more important than helping anybody or not helping anybody is I'm not helping myself. Yeah, and I think people constantly think or they they misinterpret self care as being selfish. Yeah, um, but you you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm. So you have to you have to be able to be fulfilled and full of charge before you can help others. And I think what she did by preserving herself 
was the smartest thing. I mean, forget the team at that point. She had she had to take care of herself. I mean, gymnasts go through so many surgeries and injuries after even after playing, uh, after performing at the highest level. She had to think about herself in that moment. And I think that people get uncomfortable when you start setting healthy boundaries. Mm. But she she did just that. Right. And I think that's the importance. And like setting healthy boundaries is like the ideal of like life, mm-hmm. a human. Right. We have to set boundaries with ourselves, right? We can't like just allow people to continue to push us into places that make us uncomfortable socially and that, you know, social um, uncomfortableness or social inequity leads to uh, bouts of depression. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know any other, I don't know any profession that doesn't deal with some form, form of depression. Right. We should all be able to relate. And, it, you know, for those who master depression, like I'm not depressed. You know, or I don't know anybody's depressed. You chances are you do know somebody depressed, or you've been depressed before. Absolutely, I've been depressed. I have too. You know, yeah. so now it wasn't debilitating depression, right? But each depression has different effects on different people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a point in time if you were to mention that you were depressed, people would have been like, "You're weak," and so people met they masked that, mm-hmm. right? I think people still yeah. ask it. Listen, Michael Jordan played in the NBA Finals when his father died on the side of a road. Mm-hmm. He was murdered on the side of a road. Yep. And we champed, like, he pushed through. And I, at the time, I was like, I was younger. I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what toughness is about. Right. But then Michael Jordan actually had to leave the game at, at his peak at 28 years old. He had to leave and take two years off. And it's like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Think about that. Think about somebody who won three championships, won three MVPs, just got done, you know, um, won won a a gold medal Olympics Mm -hmm. and was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm sorry, y'all. Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean? I'm an MJ fan, so we we could continue to pad the stats. I mean. Uh, two slam dunk championships. Okay, there you go. National championship in college. Yeah. Rookie of the year. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he had won probably five, at least five scoring titles by that, you know, at that point. Yeah. And he, you know, he decided to walk away. Decided to walk away. Yeah. Like, that's something that we should think about. Like, why did he walk away? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what are the things that, that were going on with him? But we've never asked that. We Now we heard, the, oh, he was probably gambling. and you know, But really... We at that point, we, and what we do with, with professional athletes, we've taken the humanity away from them. Right. Like they're not allowed to be humans, right? Right? They're not allowed to be um, subject to human emotions and human ideals. Mm-hmm. So then we can place them on these pedestals, and then when they don't meet our expectations, like they're trash, right? They're you know they're 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 less than, yeah. they're not worthy, you know. Yeah. Social media has played a big part in that, though. Social media has played a big part in that, but I would say the debilitating. Human, you know, the, the deteriorating human aspect of our society has played a larger aspect of that. For sure. Because without social media, has probably uh, made it quicker, yeah. you know, deteriorated at a quicker rate. Mm-hmm. But even when we evaluate Jordan, and I know I've got my timelines wrong about, you know, him stepping away in the game and his father passing, but even then, he probably shouldn't have been playing when his father passed away. Right. But, you know, he still stepped away at the pinnacle of his powers, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak. Yeah. And. You know, the question should have been, you know, why would somebody leave at the top of the game? The question would be like, man, like, what did we, 
what did we as society do where we pushed somebody away at the peak because they're not willing they're not willing to do it anymore. Yeah. Barry Sanders left the game at age thirty when he was only fifteen hundred yards away from breaking the record. Fifteen hundred yards from breaking the all time rushing record and he just left the game. Right. You know, athletes leave the game, leave the sport all the time. Right when they're, you know, at the peak of their powers. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Barry might have known something too. Yeah. Barry, he might have been feeling different. Yeah. Maybe I'm I'm not sure if he suffered with any brain injuries, but I mean we, we know what we know now about the NFL and right. brain injuries. So he might have been feeling something. He might have been like, you know what, I can't I can't do another season of this. Mm-hmm. I know I'm only fifteen hundred and thirty six yards away from breaking the record. I know. And I know I can probably get that this season based on the fact that I literally just ran for 1,500 yards this past season mm-hmm. and 1,500 and 1,600 yards the previous season. Yeah. So it may take, even if it takes me two more seasons, I'm going to get that record. Right. But he probably was like, I, I don't, you know, now he's, he mentions it that, you know, he has such respect for James, Jim Brown at the time, or, or excuse me, Walter Payton, that he didn't want to break the record. And, you know, but we don't know. That's what he's telling the public. We don't know if you're right. He could have been like, I don't, I am, you know, I have, I'm leaving the game with only 99 touchdowns, only, quote, unquote, 99 touchdowns and 1,500 yards away from breaking the record. Mm-hmm. Why did I walk away? Right. It's his right to walk away. It's his, his right. Yeah. His right. And you know what? We didn't villainize him for it. Mm-hmm. So that, there just could be some earmarks of sexism in that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. You know what I mean? That could be a thing. Right. Because was Jordan villainized? No. Not really. No. No. But, yeah, you're right. It, it could be a form of sexism where, you know, females don't have control over it, what their body does. Mm. You know? And people feel more entitled to um, criticize female athletes based on what they're not doing because they're female. You know, they, they right. feel like they can tell them what to do. Right. Tell me when to go. Tell me when to go. Yeah. You know? And as, I, as I'm parsing through it, I would say that's probably a more generalized idea of just how we view women, mm-hmm. right? We like to police them and how they should dress, how they should act, how they should operate within society. And then we transfer that into how they should perform in certain roles, especially when we're, they're, we're viewing them for our own entertainment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Sports-wise, right? Oh, you're not doing the way I thought you should have been doing it. You're a quitter. Right. <laughs> Even though you're four years past of what you're supposed to be doing, and you're literally the best that's ever done it. Right. But you're you're a quitter. Something you can never do. Something you can never do. Yeah. You're a quitter despite the fact that you have performed with broken ribs mm-hmm. and world, won a gold medal, broken a broken foot in the midst of a competition and still pushed through. Broken bones, sprains, literally this has been documented. But you're a quitter because you didn't perform when I needed you to do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to police you and how you want to do it. And you might think, Kamara, oh, you're trying to just do woke police. But I'm just being, you know, it's a conversation. Yeah, it's a lot of projecting going on. People, you know, projecting some of their inferiorities and insecurities on on athletes. Um, And that's part of the game that I don't think is, is right. Yeah, I, th- I th- think it comes with the game, but I, I just don't think it's right. Yeah, I'm going to talk about another athlete, mm-hmm. um, Naomi Osaka. Okay, I'm going to play a clip here. 
Game, set, silence. After winning her first round at the French Open in straight sets, Naomi Osaka made good on a promise to skip the post-match press conference, then quit the tournament altogether. Ah, Naomi. It should never have come to this. Revealing in a Twitter post hours later, the truth is that I have suffered long bouts of depression since the US Open in 2018, and I have had a really hard time coping with that. Osaka shot to fame that year with a stunning, tear-soaked victory over Serena Williams. Today, from that opponent... I wish I could give her a hug because I know what it's like. Like I said, I've been in those positions. The four-time Grand Slam champion said she was brushing the media in part because I'm just not going to subject myself to people that doubt me. For that, she was fined $19,000. The major tournaments, including the Australian Open, have threatened to expel the world's highest-paid female athlete athlete who banked $48 million last year. In, in my opinion, um, press is, is kind of part of the job. We know what we sign up for as, as professional tennis players. She has to understand that when she bought into this whole idea of playing professional tennis, part of that is to agree to do these interviews, to make the sport more vibrant, to get the word out. From one tennis legend, sympathy. As athletes, we are taught to take care of our body and perhaps the mental and emotional aspect get short shrift. With Wimbledon just weeks away, Osaka's left fans guessing her next move. Signing off, I'll see you when I see you. In the United States, Ashley Mullaney, 7 News. So, that one, you know, we're talking about um, depression. And, I mean, what did, you, what did you kind of peel from that? Like, the thought process that she stepped away from the French Open, despite the fact of her responsibilities... Citing depression. I've been depressed since 2018. I mean, it sucks that she has to volunteer that information in the first place. Yeah. You know, because it's something that's very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, you know, to, to destigmatize depression and, and mental health concerns, you know, people expect you to be more vocal about it. But it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like, yeah. You know, on one hand, some people will see you as being brave. On the other hand, some people will see you as being weak and being a quitter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, honestly, I I don't want to put words in her mouth. Uh, but something about being in France and her being half Haitian stood out to me. The fact that um, she's very proud of her Haitian heritage. And I'm not sure if the, if the French media was treating her... Um, like they, they like they treated other athletes, but the uh, you know knowing understanding the history of France and Haiti, um, I think that that may have had some things to <laughs> oh. do with it. Oh, you know, I never th- I never thought about that. Yeah, crossed my mind because I'm I'm Haitian as well. I'm of Haitian descent. Oh, okay. Yeah, but um, you know, you talk about transgenerational uh, trauma, mm-hmm. um, the things that you have to think about, um, and and feeling almost helpless knowing that you are a multimillionaire and you can't help your, your home country uh, recover from some of the reparations that were, were placed on you. Yeah. I, um, you know, one of the things I would, I would say that like with depression and the idea of like, you know, being strong enough to tell the world, tell the public that you're like, you know what? 
I can't do this right now. Like, I think that's a, that's an amazing thing because a lot of athletes wouldn't admit, especially the top athlete in the world, wouldn't admit that she's depressed. Like, you know what I mean? Or de- they're depressed. Like, imagine if LeBron James said, I, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm, guys, I'm just feeling depressed right now. And I'm sure that LeBron James, he has everything he has to be a thousand, he goes, he has a microscope. I mean, people criticize him giving money for kids to go to college, right? So I'm sure LeBron has had moments where he's like, I don't want to do this shit. I'm tired of being evaluated, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but there's incredible strength of having agency and owning that and telling the world and making it okay, like it's okay to step away. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to take the hits. I'm willing to take the hits, financial or otherwise, from my own well-being. Right. You know? Right. Um, uh, Maria never told it, never to roll. I can't even say her last name. Anyway, she's uh, she says that, you know, in sports we talk about an athlete having to preserve their physical abilities, right? And making sure that we they are um, physically ready. But we have now have gone into a place in society, which is important, of, Athletes also making sure they're mentally ready. And if we, if it's okay to protect someone's physical, why is it not okay to protect someone's mental? One thousand percent. And you know, just like an ACL injury, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you can prevent it, yeah, you, you're gonna do whatever you can to prevent that physical injury from happening. Yeah. Um, I think it, the same should apply for um, mental injuries. Yeah. You know, if you if you experience something that's traumatic, or if you're dealing with something. Um, like depression or anxiety or something even more severe, um, I think we should try to prevent it as much as possible, work through it until or rehab it yeah. until you feel like you're, you're ready to perform again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think we're there yet. No, we're not there yet. You know, and we talked about like LeBron. I want to say mention a guy, like guy like Kyrie, who I've, I find Kyrie like a fascinating um, individual. Mm-hmm. I think he's like. I, lo- I love Kyrie. Mm-hmm. I love Kyrie because he defines his own self and he doesn't let the world define him. Yeah. You may not agree with him, but he still defines his own self, mm-hmm. which I think there's a lot of admiration. And he, and when he does that, it offends people. Right. You know? Right. Because, again, our level of expectations of him designs that he should be operate because he's playing having a certain salary and he has a certain profile and he's doing a certain thing Mm -hmm. and therefore he should only adhere to a certain box that we put him in Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna play a clip here okay uh max has already responded to this so i want to ask you do you think that Kyrie is worth all of this drama no he's not he's not worth it at all a matter of fact um let me say this straight up and down i think Kyrie irvin should retire i think he should announce his retirement today Clearly, you don't want to play basketball bad enough. Now, you might still want to get the $33.4 million, obviously uh, devoid of uh, some of the docked pay you'll receive because uh, you've, you haven't complied with uh, safety protocol measures. And as a result, the league is going to determine when you come back instead of yourself uh, or taking personal leave and obviously forfeiting game checks or whatever the case may be. But still in all, at the end of the day, you know what? You're still going to get, you know, in excess of $20 million at the very least, even though you're on the books of $33.4 million this year. Kyrie Irving 
has not prioritized basketball. I'm not saying he doesn't want to play all altogether. All I'm saying he hasn't prioritized it. And how fair is that to the Brooklyn Nets? How fair is that to Sean Marks? How fair is that to Steve Nash, a coach that he endorsed bringing on board, a coach that he wanted, a coach that he fully supported? How fair is that to his brother, Kevin Durant? Now, we can sit up there and say what we want about Kevin Durant, temperamental and all this stuff. This brother is a superstar and answers the call the way superstars are supposed to answer the call. Whenever he can play, he does play. That's who Kevin Durant is. He loves playing the game of basketball. He can play it for a lot of money because he's so great he commands it, or he'd play for free. But he'll play anywhere because that's who he is. Kyrie Irving clearly is not interested in doing that, and that's the problem. So guess what? Take – you know, and he continued to going on saying he should quit the sport because you don't you don't perform the way I think you should perform, especially in comparative to your teammate, Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which, interesting enough, I mean, again, it's just paradoxical. It's, it's incongruent. On one hand, Kev, everyone's getting on Kevin Durant for feeling the, too much, for feeling too much. <laughs> and then having agency and saying, I want to go play with the Warriors. Everyone gets on him for that. Right. And then he's pushed to into a corner where he has to perform in the in the finals. Right. And literally he knew he had He wasn't ready. Problem. He wasn't ready. And he, he was pushed into a corner, which forgive me, KD, if you're listening to this, because I know uh, you know the Twitter fingers are coming, but um <laughs> he knew he wasn't ready. Yeah. He knew he had a calf injury and he knew that there, he had actually he had an Achilles injury right. prior to Tearing it, rupturing it completely. Right. And Achilles tendon injury is a career-ending injury. Yeah. And he still chose to play. Right. And then, you know, it was demon like he was, he, he was heroic, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, you know, he was coming back. And it's like, nah, this dude can lose his career based off of because we are expectations of him. Right. And it was it's unhealthy that we almost like he felt the pressure of us removing his agency of, of self. That he had to jump into the finals, and then he ended up tearing his Achilles, and then thankfully he came back. Thankfully, you know, but it should have never been that statement. He shouldn't have never ever felt the pressure. Right. But he admits in some form or another that there was some form of external pressure that he felt to come back. Right. And you know, and these players like Kyrie that are vocal that speak out on on um, they advocate for themselves. Uh, you know, I really applaud them because. You know, they, they tell you where they are. They tell you what they're feeling. Yeah. And um, people, when people wait till until something happens for them to say, oh, man, I wish I would have known. Yeah. But people are literally telling you yeah. that this is what I'm experiencing. I'm, yeah. having, I'm having a hard time. And, and fans are still not buying it. Media is still not buying it. Yeah. And they're deeming it as weak. Um, you know, I look at you know, the statistics. Well, reports. It's un- unsubstantiated right now, but uh, suicide is the third leading cause of death among student athletes mm. in college. That says a lot. I can see that. Right. There's also a reason why suicide has a high has a high um, rate among lawyers and doctors. Right. The pressures. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something. There's, there's a correlation there. Absolutely. You know, and um, I'm not prof- comparing us to professional athletes, mm-hmm. but when you have high pressure jobs that require um, external ex- expectations from other people, right. you know, yeah. and sometimes it's like, you know, there's a reason why lawyers have a high alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, right? Because of you know, the pressure of the job. Right. In fact, I remember I, um, when I first started 
I was coming on very early in a career and I was married before I had kids. And I, I would come home and I'd have a beer and then I'd have to go from a beer to a drink. Mm-hmm. Then my wife noticed, she was like, dang, like your tolerance is going up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, really? No, it's not. It's like, yeah, you went from like a beer to like, now you're like, like two glasses mm-hmm. and it's not even phasing you. Right. And that's when I stopped. I was like, oh, I can't have, I can't let this be a crutch. Mm-hmm. I literally stopped like not drinking, but stopped like. Using it as a, oh, you know, just coming home, just having a drink after a long day. Right. Because that becomes a problem. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I didn't, wasn't noticing that my my tolerance was going up. I didn't really notice. I went from half a beer, not finishing the beer, mm-hmm. to now I'm finishing two glasses of bourbon. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, you know? And so uh, I, I think it's important to... Uh, recognize what happens when you have a, these external factors because it plays it has a debilitating effect on your life, and you know someone like Kyrie who says, "Hey, I'm not playing today. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling it. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling it. I don't. What does it matter if I play game 37 right. in December? Right. Who gives a shit? Like, you know, what I mean? like what is it in the grander scheme of life? What does it matter that I didn't play game 52? Mm-hmm. You know, in Milwaukee. You know. Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of January. You know what I mean? Like, what is it? What's the big deal? Yeah. So why do they want to play in Detroit? Right. You know, <laughs> like, what's it? You know, so, like, it's, we should be having this conversation. And to, first to say that, oh, he's he don't really want to play basketball because he doesn't, you know, I'm a Sacramento Kings fan, so I would say, but he, because he doesn't want to play the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't want, that means he doesn't love the sport. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's projection, bro. Is that right? It's, pro- it's projection, um, and it's it's lack of empathy. It is a lack of empathy, yeah. because um, you know we're not asking you to to feel sorry for him. That's sympathy, yeah. But empathy is you know imagining what he's going through, right? A, a, and understanding that you you may not understand what he's going through, right? And being compassionate and and holding space for him as a human, yeah. Not just like go dribble the ball, shut yeah. up and dribble, shut up and dribble. Yeah. Shout out to LeBron James. Which is, you know, he named his company after because literally Laura Ingram made it, you know, a statement that he should just shut up and dribble mm-hmm. and not have any human cast capacity to feel right. outside of his own profession, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. It is. <laughs> you it know, is. It, it also goes to like how we athletes, how we put them in a pedestal because we wouldn't ask, um, you know, an accountant not to care about what's going on in politics. Mm-hmm. No, county, you should just worry about numbers. Right. Stop worrying about what's happening in the White House. That's not your job. Right. Like you're they, like they don't pay taxes. Right. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That your job is to worry about other people's bills right. and accounts and money. Don't worry about what's happening in Congress. Yeah. Shut up and count. Mm. We don't do that with athletes only because we we subjected them to the work concept. And then if they're a worker, then they make they make X amount of money. And then, therefore, they're not normal. They're not. We don't normalize them as humans because, based off of their financial worth, right? Yeah. We do that as a country in any way. We base our value on somebody and our humanity and our level of evaluation on their financial worth. True. Both good and bad. Mm-hmm. You know. So, um, Jerry, I'm going to let you. Not let you. I hate when I say that. I got to give come up a better statement. <laughs> but I'm going to allow you if you're interested in giving your final thoughts. And just everything regarding what we've talked about today. 
Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Um, this is a, a dope experience. And uh, my, my final thoughts are, you know, in terms of athletic mental health or ath- athletes' mental health is that we need to start humanizing them yeah. more, more than they are. Um, we Athletes are human, too. We need to realize that. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to start having more empathy and compassion and understanding for what they might be experiencing. And if and if you're curious about learning, there's plenty of literature out there on um, the, the struggles of high-performing athletes. Um, you can uh, do the research and, and educate yourself. Um, and then overall, I just think that we, we need to start, uh, we need to keep breaking down the barriers of help-seeking and we need to keep destigmatizing mental health and mental health care because it's important, you know, the same way you would go to a doctor for an injury. Uh, you need to consider that when thinking about your mental injuries. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks, man. I, I, one of the things I want to say is that uh, we talked about Michael Jordan. I had this clip and I didn't play it. Shame on me, but it was talked about Michael Jordan saying that, you know, he wouldn't be able to survive in the social media um, era. Yeah. And um, I might play it another time because it's always t- you know, appropriateness to play something like that, but I, I can come back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely have you back. Um, one of the things I, I think it's important that we show that Simone, when she walked away from an event that she's been highly successful at for the last six years, at a pinnacle of competition, walking away from something that you've practiced your entire life for sacrificing a gold medal in order to focus in on your, your betterment of your health for yourself and for your team. Mm-hmm. There's something we should be, we should have taken away from that. That's something incredibly powerful. Absolutely. When you can walk away from something that means so much to so many, so many people to the world, because you want to put, make yourself a priority that should be celebrated, mm-hmm. not denigrated. And we have to get to a place in society where we're not pushing people away for choosing themselves, you know, above an activity, period. Mm-hmm. Whether that activity can harm them physically or just an activity that, you know, causes them some mental duress. Mm-hmm. I always mention on my podcast, we have to get back into society of being human and and appreciating and living in the moment and living in living within harmony with one another. And, you know, one of the things I will, I'm going to, I'm going to end this program with a clip by Rich Eisen, who talks about Simone and presence. And then, you know, um, lead, end it with a song that I want you guys to listen to the entirety of the song, not the entirety of the verse on the song. Um, because I think it's you know, apropos to what we're talking about. So, um, once again, thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Thank you guys for vibing out with me. If you're a fan of it, please share it. Um, leave a commentary. Check us out. Um, send it to your friends, your family, your cousins, even your enemies. And, um, you know, with that, we're going to ride out with the clip, and then we're going to go into the song. So thank you. If I may, she was there for us and exhilarating for us in Rio, where she won four gold medals. By the way, with a toe that after those Olympics, she found out was shattered in five pieces. 
In 2018, she passed a kidney stone just before the World Championships. She's also won nationals with broken toes and both feet. She's broken a rib, has significant shoulder problems. And just take the time to Google what she's been through personally and also talked about so bravely. So to anyone wondering if she's truly tough enough because she realized her mental state was in such a state that she couldn't probably and safely compete, perhaps you can cut Simone Biles a bit of slack and be there for her like she's been there for us. Oh, and yes, and to talk about her mental health so publicly, knowing this sort of blowback would be heading her way is its own form of strength. So that said, let's see if she's out there Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And if she is, let's hope it's because that's what she wants and what makes her happy. my daughter's eyes and realize I'ma learn through her. The Messiah might even return through her. If I'ma do it, I gotta change the world through her. Furs in the bands, gramps wanting them. Demons and old friends, pops, they hunting them. The chosen one from the land of the frozen sun. With drunk nights, can remember more than sober ones. Walk like warriors, we were never told to run. Explored the world to return to where my soul begun. Never looking back or too far in front of me. The present is a gift and I just wanna be. Be. Peace. 